Right now, there are two wars that are simultaneously on the horizon, that are, that are at the boiling point. A war is looming over as the world is standing in anticipation as 200,000 Russian troops are literally at the border of the Ukraine. People wondering what is going to happen. In fact, we, we don't even know what that even entails for the United States. The people that are in this church that are both from the Ukraine and Russia are literally just been praying and believing that, God, we need a miracle to take place. But there is another war that's also looming that's not been being talked about but is now beginning to start from the north and over to the west. And there's a war that's happening against Christianity and the church right now. Right now. I'll get to the specifics of that. And what I am asking God to do today is not only for us individually, not only for myself, but for this church and for the church that God would open our eyes again. That God would begin to take the vision of the church. There is a church in the book of Revelation called Laodicea. And the thing that God began to speak to that church about was lukewarm. Laodicea, the lukewarm church, was told how to get back on track. Because this is a church that was failing because they saw themselves. I am rich. I am wealthy. Everything was about them. And they couldn't see further than the congregation or the sanctuary. And in Revelation 3.18, Jesus says to them, Jesus says, I need you to anoint your eyes with ointment, with salve, so that you can see again. Because church, I want you to understand this. From pulpits to Christians, what we see determines really what we say. And if we only see ourselves, then you end up like Laodicea. I'm rich, I'm wealthy. But if you see the way God sees then something begins to happen that we've got to believe that God is going to open the eyes of his people again. And that's what I want to believe today. God, open my eyes today. Open my eyes today. He had to do it for a prophet in the Old Testament that I want to talk about. But for a moment, can we pause with open eyes and even pray for what is happening around the world today. And specifically, can we just pause for a moment and I want to believe for a miracle in Ukraine and Russia right now. Let's believe for that. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, we, it's not about us. It's not about what's happening on 51st and Broadway. God, keep our vision so clear for what is happening around the world. Let us not be a church that sees everything within ourselves. But God, we are praying right now for our Ukraine brothers. That, Father, that are literally families in this church are wondering what's going to happen to families overseas. And God, as I was talking to even Russian brothers yesterday that are just in distraught, not knowing what's going to happen, that friends and family being called into service, oh God, to, to begin to, to, to invade a country. But we thank you today. Proverbs 22.1 says, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. That we believe that it's not Putin, but it's God that can stop this. It's God that can do this. We don't trust NATO. We don't trust, we don't trust Biden. We don't trust Putin. And it's not that all these people are something. We just say we trust God today. God, we believe that a phone call between two presidents can't even stop it. God can turn the heart today. And we are believing for a miracle, God. Father, we are believing for a miracle. Hold back. Hold back, oh God those troops from going in right now. Give, keep our eyes open for what's happening, not only in Ukraine, but give us, God, give us 2020 vision again. 
open up our eyes to see beyond 51st and Broadway. Let us not be zip code Christians that just see what our world has. I'm wealthy, I'm rich. God, anoint this place with an eye salve to see the way Jesus sees today. In your name we pray, and everybody said, amen, hallelujah. Inevitably, there are names in the Bible that have associations to it, that if I was to mention a name, there's probably just one word you can put with that name and know the whole story and know the narrative that the Bible tells about that person. If I was just to mention the name Jonah, you would say what? Of course, even though the Bible doesn't say whale. It says great fish, but that's another thing. If you say David, you end up with Goliath, of course, and the Bible does say Goliath. Three Hebrew children, you think of a, a furnace. Our story today has that feature. The prophet has an animal associated with him. His name is Balaam, and his name is associated with what? A donkey, but not just any donkey. This is a talking donkey. Lord, help us. Because what I've realized is this is that God will invoke all of creation to get his servants to their God-given destination. God is not, God is not only not a respecter of persons, he's not even a respecter of animals. He will, God, God will take, get a rooster to crow for a denying disciple. He'll get a whale with a big mouth to get a runaway prophet who won't open up his mouth. He will send ravens to feed a prophet in seclusion and God will give vocal cords to a beast of burden to stop a prophet from heading in the wrong direction. The placement of this story of Balaam and a talking donkey is so unusual and unexpected because I, wa- I want you to get this for a moment. It's an outlier story. It just, as you're reading the book of Numbers, it seems to just show up for this reason because it's not a Jewish story. This is the part I want you to get for just a moment. Balaam is a perimeter prophet. He's, in fact, he's a non-Jew. We call that a Gentile prophet. Balaam, the story of Balaam is a sub-story of the Exodus story. It's not, it's not so much embedded. While the Exodus is happening, there is a little thing happening over here called Balaam and this talking donkey. He is on the outskirts of Israel's journey And God chose to put this story in the Bible. It's God giving us a glimpse on how he protects his people when we don't even know it. Can I just tell you something today? You have no idea what God is doing on your behalf right now. And and to a Jew, unless God records this in the Old Testament, they have no idea about the story of Balaam and a talking donkey. All they know is they're wandering and walking through a wilderness, and over on the outskirts, you see this whole narrative take place. And while the Israelites are journeying, the enemy, there is an enemy that is wanting to attack them, but God has a prophet in the right place at the right time that he wants to use. Here's the story in a nutshell. This non-Jewish prophet, this Gentile prophet, Balaam, is asked by a fearful king, of a country called Moab to curse the people of God. He says, I need you to curse them. In a sense, he's going to try to fight fire with fire because he sees I can't beat them at their own game, so I'm going to use, in a sense, I'm going to use supernatural weapons. 
and the king is trying to get an upper hand on them. And Balaam, this non-Jewish prophet, has to go to God and say, should I curse them? Because the Israelites, this group of millions of people coming out of Egypt, is new news even to Balaam. He doesn't. That's why he asks God, who are these people? And he is given money by this king to curse them. But he refuses because when Balaam prays about this, this is what God says. God tells Balaam, do not go with these men. You are not to curse these people, the Jews, for they have been blessed. The king comes back again after this refusal with more money and prestige and says, you can write, here's a blank check, whatever you want, you get it. And somehow, Balaam goes for it. And on the way in his disobedience, let me say this, on the way in this disobedient journey, God stops him with a talking donkey that sees angels that Balaam couldn't see. I want to say this again. What inspired speech from this donkey was a vision of three angels. Probably the same angel. It all of a sudden, it brings out these vocal cords. Let, let me give you as a side note and say this about disobedience. Keep this in mind. Jot this down. Disobedience is always more costly than obedience. I'm just telling you, folks. It, obedience is hard, but disobedience is painful. Walk with God. Obey what God wants. And I believe after many, almost four decades of ministry, I start to realize that today's problems sometimes with a lot of people I talk to are often the result of yesterday's disobedience. That what people are facing today can usually go back to a moment that God says, I need you to do this. I need you to walk with this. And his obedience, Balaam's obedience, would protect the nation of Israel. His disobedience would just get him a paycheck. That if he would obey, if he would obey, he could protect the nation. If his eyes were open, he would see larger than himself. But remember what we talked about. The problem with the Laodicean church is that they couldn't see more, that they couldn't see beyond themselves. I'm rich, I'm wealthy. They just saw them. And God needed to open their eyes. And all of a sudden, I want you to see how this begins to play out. There's something I want to talk to you about that I'm asking God to open my eyes for. And I'm going to ask him to open up our eyes as a church. Listen to the story of what the angels saw that Balaam neglected to see. But God was angry. This is Numbers 22. God was angry because he was going. God told him not to go, but he goes anyway. Disobedience is more costly than obedience. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against Balaam. Now he was riding on his donkey and his two servants with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, not Balaam, the donkey, saw the angel in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the first thing the donkey does, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Verse 24, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on his side and a wall on that side. He's going through an alley. And here's what it says. When the donkey, not Balaam, saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. God bless this donkey. I'm just telling you right now. God bless this donkey. And if there's any animal I'm going to talk to in heaven, 
Guess who it is? <laughs> then the angel of the Lord went further. Isn't this amazing? That instead of God, this is the relentless love of God over us. That instead of going, you didn't get it when, when I drove you into the field, you didn't get it when I pressed your foot. Now the angel of the Lord begins, it says, when the angel of the Lord went foot further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right or to the left, and when the donkey saw the angel, time number three, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick, and the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. I'll add the next verses. I got something to say now. <laughs> that donkey was about to talk. Isn't it amazing that three times it says when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord? The donkey, God's creation, saw the angel. It never says when the prophet saw the angel of the Lord. It talks about an, a donkey seeing it. And then in verse 31, here's the part I want you to see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he finally saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and bowed all the way to the ground. Folks, I want you to hear me for just a second. This is what I've learned. When you're living in disobedience and sin, you can't see clearly. When sin overtakes you, all of a sudden, nothing becomes clear. Listen to Psalms. I want you to get this. Listen to Psalms 40, verse 12. This is what it says. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to see. Look at that verse. When sin and disobedience becomes part, this is no longer clear. And all of a sudden, now your face, think about this. You can't see God. You can't see angels. You can't even see yourself that you're going on the wrong direction. You can't even see what's next. The worst thing to do is take a step into the future and you're living in sin and disobedience because you don't know what's next. Because when sin overtakes us, everything becomes unclear at that moment. See, Balaam can't speak to what he's supposed to speak from God because Balaam can't see. Balaam can't speak because Balaam can't see. His own greed blinded him. He didn't get back on track until he, until he said these words. Listen to verse 34. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. In order to open up his eyes, he had to start with the sin issue. He had to start with, with really this selfish issue, this greed issue. Whether it was, whatever that thing that seems to overtake us, those are the things that begin to blind us. This is what caught my attention. When finally his eyes, when finally his eyes were open and he sees what God, with an, a donkey saw, but he couldn't see. And this is my launching point. And that's why I needed to spend a little time on this for just a moment. This is what it caught my attention this week. This is what gripped my heart in, as I was reading the word of God. When it was time for finally Balaam to prophesy what God was going to say to him, I want you to see how the prophecy starts. This is the part I want to leap from. I, I needed to get you there because he couldn't speak until his eyes were open. He couldn't talk unless he saw the way God spoke. 
until his eyes are open. I want my eyes to be open this way. Listen to how the prophecy starts in Numbers 24, verses 3 and 4. And it says this, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor. This is what he was supposed to say. The utterance of the man, here it comes, whose eyes are opened. Listen to it. The utterance of him who hears the word of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. Folks, in two verses, before he even prophesies, it keeps saying over and over again, the man who saw, the man who sees, the man whose eyes were opened, that, it, that all of a sudden what God was going, before you can speak, I need you to see the way that I see. Before you can announce, I need you to see with my eyes. Numbers 24.3 in the Good News Version says it like this, the words of the man who can finally see clearly. That sin is no longer overtaking him. Or how about this one? I love this. I want to just say, I'm, I'm sorry for, for, for just staying here, but I need you to see this. I love the way the message begins to do this. It says, the decree of Balaam, yes, the decree of a man with 20-20 vision. And then it says this, the decree of a man who hears God speak, who sees what the strong God shows him, who falls on his face in worship, who sees what's really going on. Folks, look at me for a second. If there was ever a cry that I think from the heart of God for our country, it, for, for his church, for his bride, it's that even his, his pastors, his preachers, starting with me, would see clearly again. Not just see and hear, not just see us, but to see the way God sees again. We need our eyes open. It's not about us. We need people that are not so keyed in on, this is what our church is, this is what we're doing, this is what's going on. We need to hear what God is doing, what God is saying again. I want that distinction. I started to pray for that. God, open my eyes. I don't want to speak with blind eyes. I don't want to, you know what happens when you speak with blind eyes? You don't even know what God is thinking. You know, God, you think when you speak from blinded eyes, you are speaking from your little world. And you're missing what God wants to do. I'm so thankful that two weeks ago, so Cindy and I took a week off, and it was perfect timing. When it snowed eight inches, we went south to the heat. God is risen from the dead. And I'm so thankful to our general overseer, Pastor Carter. That message on, we watched it, the real Jesus doesn't burn. Powerful word. And then last week, Dr. O.S. Hawkins on walking in the fear of the Lord. While away, Cindy and I had this real God moment. While we were away, Dr. R.T. Kendall introduced us to an old general in God. He was a 92-year-old pastor that has this incredible gift of intercession. And he said, he said, I want you to meet with him for lunch. It was so funny, we, Cindy and I started laughing. The 86-year-old Dr. Kendall is introducing us to the 92-year-old pastor. And I'm going, you can't get much older than, than these guys right here. Um, and we were so thankful. We drove about 30 minutes. We drove 30 minutes just to be prayed for. While we were resting, and this is what we were told. Dr. Kendall said, if you go, it will be the highlight of your trip. Let this man just pray for you. He prayed for us, for you, and for our children. And as soon as he finished praying for us, I just said, 
I, did, I told him, I said, Pastor Charles, just, just, we just want you to lay hands. We drove just to be prayed for, just to be prayed for. And then this precious man just said, let's go out to lunch. And so we went to this cafe that's just, just called the Banana Boat, um, right, on the, right kind of on the water, and it was just, just a nice little sandwich place of seafood. But this is the part that was amazing to me. In this little, uh, the, these little canals, these boats would go to get to the ocean, and you're sitting right there eating. We're eating there with, with Pastor Charles. We just finished our time. And it was, it was, it was a Balaam moment for me that all these little ships, all these uh, boats were pulling in to go eat because you can dock there and go eat. And this one little boat was coming in with this husband and wife on it. It was, it was not big. It was, they were pulling in. And as they were there, everybody started waving because right behind them was this massive yacht going by. It was like Jeff Bezos, who can't get it out of Amsterdam. And this giant boat is coming behind them. And these two people on their little bogus boat thought everybody was waving to them. And this couple was going... (laughs) Had no idea behind them this Jeff Bezos thing is this massive. And people are waving at all these people going, yeah. And this couple never looked behind them. I'm sitting there going, you have no idea what's happening behind you because you're so fixated on you that you have no idea this massive thing that is happening behind you. And church, I kept going, they, they can't even see it to know what's there because they never saw. That's what we have to begin to do. This is not about us looking at each other and going, there is something massive happening and we need to see what God wants us to see. Or we're gonna find ourselves on our little boats. Like this, and all of a sudden, it's about us. I'm rich, I'm wealthy. That's Laodicea talk. I want, I, want to, I want my eyes to be open. I want to see what God sees. I want open, a open heart. That's why the goal here is not to simply to say, God, just, just get people here. We want to see the kingdom of God advance. Or as, or as the great revivalist Duncan Campbell said, he said, the kingdom of God is not going to be advanced by our churches becoming filled with men, but by our men in our churches becoming filled with God. That's how it happens. Oh, Lord, help us to see the way he sees. Think of the prophecy again, the words of a man who began to see clearly. Even Jesus said this to his people. Listen to Luke, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it's unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it that the light within you is not darkness. God, open my eyes. Not just to the Ukraine border, but folks, even happening right now. It's not just a war on the Ukraine, but listen to me. There is a war on the church that's happening right now. There is a war that's coming against us that we need to have our eyes open. Happening right now because not just some pastor, a parliament member of a friendly Christian nation, Finland, 
had posted Romans 1, 24 through 27, because they had a concern what was happening with what was taking place with same-sex marriage. Just literally took a picture of Romans 1 and put it on Instagram, and she is now on trial and could face two years for hate speech. Two years. It's a parliament member. A parliament member. This isn't even a pastor. And folks, and we're sitting here as a church going like, hey, look at us. Let's do this. It's the people on a boat. And God goes, open your eyes. There's a war looming on the Ukraine. There's a war looming against the church. And we'll still have churches so focused on what they're doing, some preaching schedule or some personal thing. And God's going to the church today in America. Open up your eyes and see the way that I see what's going on here. Folks, do you understand? We can sit here and, 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 and have church and do all this. But this, this is moving. This persecution is moving our way. It's moving our way. I heard one Christian leader say it like this, Christians are no longer the home team. We lost home field advantage decades ago. If you're a serious Christian, you are now on the visiting team. Public opinion is not on our side any longer. And the more serious you are, the more targeted you are going to be for being biblical in your worldview. Folks, let me explain it to you like this. Your biblical definitions alone, forget this, folks. L listen, I, send all the emails you want. I don't care. Just listen to me. Whatever you want to say about a vaccine and whatever you're going to go, it's 666, and when they put the needle in, you're getting antichrist. Well, say whatever you want. I, I, it's, I'm not here to debate a vaccine. I'm not here to debate masks. I just want to go back to biblical definitions. And when you, and if you, listen, just defining marriage, defining gender, defining the unborn, defining those things through the scripture now makes us a target today. Open our eyes. Just defining it from the Bible standpoint. That's why we need God to open our eyes. And I'm just going to let you know, folks, if, if this, this place, 33 years ago, 34 years ago, I'm so thankful for Pastor David Wilkerson. I'm so thankful for Pastor Carter Conlon that have stood on this word. And I'm telling you, 34 years later, we are going to stand on this word, and this is what's going to guide us today. This Bible is going to guide us. Folks, you don't have to make it divisive. All you have to do is define it. Just define what the Bible says. And all of a sudden, we begin to find ourselves. And that's why, if I could say this to you. So as today we launch, as we launch connect groups, whether it's theology connect group, whether it's the, with Dr. R.T. Kendall, the freedom connect group that is, that is coming out that some of you have seen, or prison letters. Listen carefully. The connect groups, many of you who have grown up in church like I have, Whenever you wanted to do something, you started a ministry, and then everybody would go to it. Now we're saying it's not starting a ministry, it's starting a connect group. So you're going like, what's the difference? Connect group makes it mobile even if we're shut down. 
Do you understand what's happening? This is a strategy. Some of you are going like, I, I have a burden for Israel. We need an Israel, pray for Israel. We are for that. But it's not a ministry that meets in a room of the church. It's start a connect group to keep us mobile no matter what happens against us. Does that make sense? So don't fight against this word, connect group. Do you know what that is? That sounds like the devil. Because if you spell it backwards, <laughs> come on. Come on. Our purpose when you look at the stage, when you look at all this, the cameras, it's to keep us mobile. That you can lock the doors, we'll be online. You can shut it down, we're still doing connect. It doesn't matter. So some of you, while you're fighting the wrong thing, we're trying to get us mobile that you can't, that wherever you go, it's going back to the book of Acts. You can call it a house church, whatever you want to do. I believe we've got some good, we've got a few years left that we're going to be able to do this, but we're just getting mobile. We're getting, thank you. You know, it's the best amen I got all day. Some guy just goes, smart move, pastor. God bless you. We're going mobile. Does that make sense? Raise your hand if that makes sense. So when we say, okay, hold your hands up. I just want to make sure I count. That's too many to count. Put them down. Okay, this is what I'm asking you to do. So when we say go sign up for a connect group, we're saying we need you to be mobile. We're preparing ourselves. The worst thing you can do is to prepare yourself when the battle already comes. We see what's coming. Let's get ready for it. That's what we're doing. Are you all in favor? Say aye. aye. Okay. And even if you said no, it doesn't matter. Here we go. I've asked God to help me open my eyes for three things. Jot these down. Three things. Open our eyes. Open our eyes to see people, to see our protection, and to see God. That's what I'm asking God to do. Open our eyes. Let me just go through these fast. To see people, to see our protection in the midst of all this, and to see God in the midst of all this. Let's start with to see people for just a moment. This happened right after the church was birthed in, in Acts. God needed his church to not stay in an upper room, but he needed them to go see people the way he sees people. Isn't it amazing that after the upper room takes place in Acts chapter 2, you never hear about the upper room again? Because he wouldn't let them stay up there. Because you ha And isn't it amazing that the first man to be set free and to be healed was a lame man, that if the church stayed in an upper room, which means stairs, a lame man can't walk up the stairs to get there. He needs the church to come down the stairs to get to them. Does that make sense? And so what God goes, he goes, hey, I'm going to let the first miracle of the church be a lame man, and the only way you're going to get to the lame man is you're going to have to walk down the steps yourself. And he says, because I'm going to need you to see people differently. And that's exactly what he does. So in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John see a man that they have seen every day of their life that they've gone to the temple to pray. But the day after Pentecost and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, they see the man differently now. The Bible says this man has been there since his birth. They've been laying him there. And all of a sudden, now they see him differently. How come all those other years before they were filled with the Holy Spirit, how come all those other years they walk right by him? But all of a sudden, God opens up their eyes to see this man differently. And Peter and John have been to the temple, but Peter and John now have been to an upper room. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me just continue to remind you, Acts 2.37 and 2.38, we are praying people to be born again, people to be baptized in water, and people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you see differently. And that's exactly what took place. This beggar wasn't the same person. On this day, he wasn't just a beggar, but with their new eyes from being filled with the Holy Spirit, they saw him as a potential miracle. Listen to it. The Bible says they used to set this man down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, Acts 3. And it says, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb, so he's been there every day, which means that they've seen him, was being carried along whom they used to set down at the gate of the temple in order to beg alms of people who were entering the temple. Then when he saw, he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. That's begging for money. But Peter, along with John, fixed new, new eyesight, new eyesight for these two guys that they'd never had before. And they said, look at us. And he began to give them attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Folks, let me just tell you what you did, what this church did. We got this puppy. God help us. So one of the nights, I get the night shift just as protection for the girls, so I'm walking that puppy, and some guy at 10.30 at night before I go to bed goes, hey, you're the pastor of Times Square Church. I've never seen this man before. I, I just, and, and I was already going like, I'm sorry if he's done, this puppy has done anything. Um, if he's bar-, he just goes, no, no, no. He said, let me tell you something. He said, um, I used to have an apartment. My wife and I had an apartment right down here by the church, and every day... Every day, we used to walk by a beggar on the street on 8th Avenue. And he said, one day we walked by, and he no longer was there. And we found out that people at Times Square Church came to this man, shared Jesus with him, got him a place to stay. And he says, he's no longer there because your people saw something in him when everybody walked by. And he looked at me, he says, I'm coming to that church. Think of that. Just for a moment. Folks, you saw not a guy asking for money in the same place. You saw, like Peter and John, not just a beggar asking for alms. You saw a potential miracle. And you didn't even know it was touching this young man and God would begin to do something. But it wasn't God just opening up our eyes for us to see the, the streets and the homeless again as potential miracles. But can I tell you what I think God has to do for us today, even as we talk about connect groups? I think it's God opening up our eyes, not just see the homeless, but to see the people that you're sitting next to, to see them differently, even the people that are next to you. That those people next to you are critical to your growth in faith. They really are. Listen, I get it. You can come to church, and as you're sitting close, and we, we've got almost a full house here, I know, and people are worshiping, and Freddie's going, lift your hands, and, and their hands are, are coming over into your airspace, and they're coming over, and you're going like, we don't do that Times Square. We go this way. We don't go northwest, east and west. We go north and south. Either put your hands up or you put them down. We don't go this way around here. Wherever you've come from, you better learn real quickly. Let me just tell you. Raise your hands any way you want to. But listen to me carefully. Because what God is wanting to do is God is wanting us to see the importance of the body of Christ. The importance of the people that, that are here. You, you, know what the, you know what you'll never hear 
in the news, no matter what news station you write. I was reading this. A Harvard, a Harvard doctor, he's the, he, he's the professor at Harvard um, of epidemiology, of epidemics. And he said this, he wrote this whole study on what happens. He was doing it on the healthcare workers during the pandemic. And he was wanting to see, he had this thought. He said, why are the people that are connected to a church and relationships lasting longer than those that are not? Harvard study. This isn't some Christian study. This is what he found out. Listen to this. He spent, he spent the, the, the last couple years doing this, and he says those that are in attendance and have relationships, how it impacted healthcare workers. He said those that attend frequently and are part of relationships in the church, he said they are 30% less likely to become depressed, 50% less likely to get a divorce, five times less likely to commit suicide, and in perhaps the most striking uh, fashion, he said this, healthcare professionals who attend church weekly, 33% of them were less likely to die when he followed up on them a couple years later. He said they even live longer. Join a connect group and you get to live longer. We'll keep you alive. Join a connect group. And, and listen, this is what's so important. As we launch connect groups, you're going to see it for, for so many different ones, whether you're going to attend, whether you're going to lead one. Cindy and I are doing this. It's our greatest joy to work with Stan and Natasha and bring together some of the young adults and have a chance to invest in them. This is our heart. Why, Pastor Tim? Because when, when the battle comes this way, we will be mobile. We will still have a church. Even if you lock the doors of the church, we get to still have church. And that's what God is doing. That's why we're encouraging you to begin to do this. But we have to see people differently. We have to see the way God sees them. I wonder, there was a verse that stood out to me as I'm reading through the book of Exodus. I wonder how big of a part Moses' parents, the way they saw that child began to become part of this child's destiny. Listen, I, I was reading this just two days ago, and it says this in Exodus 2.2, the woman became pregnant, this is Moses' mom, and she had a son, and she saw there was something special about him and hid him for three months. She looked at that boy and said, there's a calling on your life. There's something here. I want to see people that way. I want to look at a beggar on the street like, and, and, and on 8th Avenue and go, you don't deserve to be here. God has something special for you. Peter and John looked at a man at the gate beautiful and said, I know the doctor said you're crippled for life, but God has something special for you. And that's what God does. We have to see people that way. And that's what I think God begins to do. That I don't want to sit on my little boat waving while the big thing is passing me by. God help us. I want to see people the way God sees them. Number two, I want to see, I want you to have open eyes to see your protection. I'm not sure if we live like we're protected by God. One of our elders who's sitting here today ends every text this way. Every single text I get, he says this to me. God is with you. He's reminding me of my protection. Every single time. I don't take those words for granted. It brings confidence to me. And I'm asking God to open up my eyes to know that no matter from walking to church, if my girls are walking to church, whatever happens, I'm believing God, you're surrounding us. We're surrounded by protection. We're surrounded by, by those people. You know, there's a story where literally two guys, one is a prophet and one is, a, is, is an assistant 
One has opened eyes and one has closed eyes. One's in peace and the other's distraught. And all of a sudden, an entire army surrounds them. And they're sitting there, and the man with peace just goes, you don't see what I see. What does he see? Listen to it. 2 Kings 6.15. Now when the attendant of the man of God, this is Elisha, had risen early and got out, behold, there was an army with horses and chariots circling the city. And his servant said to him, Master, what are we going to do? So he answered and said, don't fear. And I love this phrase. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What happened? Then Elisha prayed. Listen to the prayer. Oh, Lord, I pray. What? What does it say? Open his eyes that he, God, open our eyes today. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and saw, and behold, the mountains was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I love that. All around Elisha. You know what happens when you hang out with the right people? If they're protected by God, you get some of that protection. You better hang out with the right people. You better hang out. Let me tell you what I used to pray over our household every single night when we were in Detroit. I don't pray it enough because we're in an apartment, but I still need to pray it more. Every single night where we lived in Detroit, my children heard it. My wife heard it every night. God stationed angels on four corners of our property that no wicked thing can come near our house. Some of you better adopt that prayer. God said, we've prayed that over our church. God stationed angels on all four corners of our property here that no wicked thing can come near this house. I'll never forget the day that my neighbor told me. He said, come over here. Come over here. I walked over to my neighbor's home. He goes, look, look at the headrest of my car and look at the window. Two bullets went through his window from the alley and were lodged in his headrest. And I just looked. I'm just going like, I'm surrounded. I just knew I'm surrounded. I knew God. So because I'm surrounded, guess what? You get to be protected too. Because my protection goes larger than my property. Let me just tell you something, folks. I believe in the protection of God. I believe that God is able to protect. Think about this. These streets have changed. The cities around and our country is changing. The enemy is going to come. But we have God's protection upon us. I don't care if you've just been born again last week. You are protected by God. I, folks, you can ask her yourself. Cindy just became a Christian. We were, we were at downtown Detroit at a, at a Christian, uh, it wasn't a concert, it was, a, it was some preaching thing down, downtown Detroit, and I had to stay, and she was walking by herself. We weren't married at this time, but she, but she left. We said goodbye. She had to walk from Joe Louis Arena to her car in Detroit at the Renaissance Center, and it was not just a long walk, but at this time in Detroit, it was a dangerous walk. She will tell you this story. She said she was walking to her car and her footsteps behind her. She looked around and some man came right up and said, hey, I'm here to walk you to your car. That's all I'm here to do, to walk you to your car. And all of a sudden, my wife just goes, thank God. They walked to the car. She said, thank you for doing this. She just assumed he was from the conference. She put her key in the car, turned around. I'm just telling you what I heard. Cindy doesn't lie. There was no more man there. Let me just tell you something. If you don't know what that is, the angels of God are encamped around us and can protect us. Folks, 
I'm telling you, they're pushing people on subway tracks. The enemy is coming against us, but you are surrounded by God. You are protected by God. You are encamped by God. He is God. God, open our eyes that we can see his protection over us. Oh, my goodness. I told our elders this. I said before we came out, I said, there's this verse I've been living by this whole week. And it says this. This is how I know you're pleased with me because my enemy doesn't shout and triumph over me. Let me just tell you, the enemy will attack me. The enemy will post things against me. The enemy will talk about me, but you can't shout and triumph over me. When God is on my side, let me just tell you something. I trust in God. I trust in him. And if there's a shout that's going to go up, it's going to come from this camp to say, God is with us. That's the shout that's going to be in this place. Okay, let's close with this. God, open my eyes. I want to see people the way you do. God, open my eyes. I want to see the protection that you've given to us. And let me close with this. God, open my eyes to see you, to see God. And this is where we close today. I'm convinced that our country can't see sin because we can't see God. Sin doesn't exist in our country because you remove God. Because in order for there to be sin, you have to have a righteous standard. So if you remove God out of the public places, then it's no longer sin. It is a, it is, it is a habit. It is, a, it is a, um, a, something that needs to be fixed or something that, need, that you were born with. It's not called sin anymore because there is no God. When God exists, and he does... That means there's a righteous standard, but, and then you can have sin. There is no such thing as sin without God. And because God exists, we see when you see God, then you see sin. When people in the Bible had a vision of God, they also had a vision of their sin. That was the difference. If you can remove God, then you can remove sin. And that's why If there's ever a time for the church to preach about the greatness of God, of who God is, OS last week, the fear of the Lord, Pastor Carter, our Jesus doesn't burn. See, it happened all over the Bible. It happened to Job. He said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes, what? See you, therefore I retract and I repent. When he sees God, he repents. When Peter is fishing and sees the miracle. It says when Peter saw, he fell down at Jesus' feet. Fell down there. He sees Jesus and says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Isaiah is the same thing. Isaiah, he said, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have what? Seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Or then you have John, the revelator. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as as a dead man. The job of the church, the job of this pulpit is to show the real Jesus. Because without it, then the pulpits and the preachers, listen carefully. Our job is to preach this word and show the living, resurrected Jesus. If you don't, then we have communic... We don't call them preachers anymore. They're communicators. They're motivators. Folks, I'm not a communicator. I'm not a motivator. It is... I'm I'm going to preach this word. And when you preach this word, I'm just telling you, 
then I have a responsibility as an ambassador to show people God. When you preach Jesus, then men encounter who they really are. See, as the Apostle Paul grew in the knowledge of God over the years, he grew more disgusted with himself. Isn't that funny? The more he grew in God, the more he just going like, I'm nothing. See, in the beginning, I want you to see, this is what Paul said. I want, you to, I want you to get this. Just follow this journey with me for just a moment. Because in Galatians chapter 1, I want you to listen to Paul talk about himself. The first letter he writes after his first missionary journey is in Galatians 1. And he calls himself an apostle. You know what Paul was doing? He was on the little boat going. Six years later, he writes 1 Corinthians 15.9 and realizes his little boat's not that great. And he just says, Paul, I'm the least of the apostles. Six years, the more I see God, the more I see myself. Because when you don't see God, listen to me, balcony, listen to me. When you don't see God, those watching online, listen. When you don't see God, you end up like Laodicea, lukewarm, going, I'm rich, I'm wealthy. I have need of nothing. Oh, how deceived can you be? It's little boat churches, little boat Christianity. Little boat. God help me. I never want to live on the little boat. I want to just go, look at the big boat. That's what those people should have did. So Paul starts off with, I'm an apostle. Then he goes, seven years later, he goes, I'm the least of the apostles. And all of a sudden, he starts to see God even more. And six years later in Ephesians 3.8, he writes, Paul, I'm the least of the saints. He said, in this big room of people, I'm the lowest one on the totem pole. And folks, when he ends it all, just before he dies, his last thing he says is this, Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. He goes from little boat Christianity, I'm an apostle. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the saints. I'm the chief of sinners. He kept pulling, look at him. Not my little boat. Look at me, look what I got. God opened my eyes. I don't feel like I'm breaking confidence here. Elder Jerry and Sister Glenn, I'm going to put you on the spot. Elder Jerry told me a story. We, Cindy and I have been praying for them, and, we, and we've prayed for them as a church. When they tragically lost their son a little over a month ago. And Elder Jerry told me about the funeral. We saw it a very intimate setting of a funeral. About 50 people, eight people respond to be born again. Eight people respond. But Elder Jerry told me my favorite story. He said, Pastor Tim, you don't know the after story that happened. He goes, after Pastor Carter shared, you came up, and folks, I'm just telling you, exactly what I did here on the ABCs, I did it right there, and eight people came to Christ. And here's what's amazing. Elder Jerry goes, Pastor Tim, let me tell you what happened. When we were leaving, the three funeral directors looked at one of our people and said, hey, you go to that church. Can we talk to you? Walks into the office of the three funeral directors and said, can you talk to us about those ABCs again? Shared the gospel. 
those three guys get born again in their office. And Elder Jerry said, and he may be there right now, was at the Jersey campus last week. He, why is it? Why, why, how come that, how come they hear thousands of moments of funerals? They're in a better place. They're in this. They're, because it's little boat funerals. Our job is to point people to God. That's what our job is. Our job is to point them there. Because when you see God, you see yourself. And when you see yourself, you see you need God because of yourself. That's what happens. If I can point people to God, then they see themselves. But if I'm sitting there going, look at me, look at my boat, look at my boat, then you get stuck in Galatians 1.1. Tim, a pastor in New York. Come on. The more I see God, the more I realize I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. It's not about this little boat. It's about God. And today, there is a God who loves you. There is a God who cares. There is a God who is, because he's God, if we don't realize, listen, let me just say it to you like this. When you see God, you see yourself. And when you see yourself, you realize, I need God to fix me, to change me. Because I can't fix myself. Today that can happen. Today you can be changed. Today your life can be changed. When I look at a sanctuary like this, I don't see people. I see potential miracles. When I look online, I'm going, I see potential miracles. Today could be a miracle day for you. A miracle day for you. This is the day that can change everything. This is the day when you see God, you see yourself, and you're going... Man, how, does, how do I change? What do I need to do? I'm so glad you asked. Jesus said, you can start over even now. He calls it, just as you had a first birth, you can get a second birth, a spiritual birth. Because some of you are sitting here going like, man, I've messed up my life. And God goes, you can get a do You can be born again while you're alive. Because the first time you were born physically, but the second time, it's a spiritual change. First time in a hospital, but right now inside the heart. Because Jesus says this, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? It is as simple as ABC. What is it, Pastor Tim? It's starting with admitting that we're sinners. I see who God is. I see what I see that there is a condition that I have, and it's called sin. I have it. It's called sin. I can't fix it with a priest, a pastor, a promise, a program. Only God can fix it. It's admitting that I'm a sinner. I'm broken on the inside. I was broken when I was born. But God didn't leave me in that condition. He says, I can fix you. I can change you. And that new relationship with God is not about simply getting you to church. It's not getting you in church, but it's getting God in you and living in you. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? That's the B word. Believing that God sent his son to die for your sin. God can't walk with people 
that are not, that are not forgiven, that will not believe that God can come in and change them from the inside out, that folks, I'm here to tell you this. If we could fix ourselves, then God would never have had to send his son. But we couldn't fix ourselves. We couldn't fix ourselves. God had to send the son to become our burden bearer. He would die the, die the death that we were supposed to die, live the life that we couldn't live, and give us a reward, heaven and forgiveness that we don't even deserve. And it's for you. It was for me. It was for all of us in this place. But it has to be received like a gift. And then it says, C, A, admit, B, believe, C, confess. Confess him as Lord. Not confess a church, a denomination, a religion. It's confessing him as Lord. That word means you're in charge now. Romans 10, 9, and 10. It's not just believing that God raised Jesus from the dead, but it's also confessing him as Lord and saying, you don't just get Sundays for two hours. You get every day, every hour, every moment. You're in charge of my life. Do you actually think Jesus died on the cross, went through that pain so he can get you to sit in the seat on Sunday? No, 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 no. That's religion. Religion asks for a couple hours a week, but a relationship wants to walk with you every single day. That's the relationship. And you can have that relationship today. In the balcony, main floor, online, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. This may be the first time you're in church today. This may be, maybe some of you are walked in here and going, I haven't, been a, I haven't been to a church, a synagogue, a mosque. I haven't been to anything for, for a decade. But today, you're in the right place. Because today, you can be born again. Today, God can walk into your life and change you from the inside out. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that God sent his son to die for my sin. And today, I want to confess him as Lord. Today, if you're sitting here and say, Pastor Tim... I want to start that journey with God. My eyes have been open. I'm starting to see the way God. I've been on this, like Balaam, on this disobedient journey. But today my eyes, I think I see clearly now. I want to start a journey with God today. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a born-again prayer. And in in about maybe 30 seconds, I'm not going to make you stand. I won't make you walk forward. But in about 30 seconds, not yet... With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just about 30 seconds if you say, put me in the prayer you're about to pray. Because I'm going to pray a born-again prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer that will start you on your journey. It's not a magic prayer. It's just a prayer that says, God, I want you to, want you to come into my life. Maybe your eyes have been opened today to say, that's what I need. I need a relationship with God today. If you're here today and you feel like my eyes are open, I see the big boat behind me. Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer, would you put me in that? I want to be part. I want to start a journey with God today. I'm not inviting you to be a member of a church. I'm inviting you to change your forever, your eternity. And in balcony, main floor, every head bowed and every eye closed, I'll be looking around. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer, and we'll all pray it together, put me in that without any hesitation. If that's you, I want you just to hold up your hand as high as you can. Hold it up as high as you can. I want to make sure I see every hand. Keep them up. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. Keep them up. I want to make sure it's seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, 
13, got you in the back over there. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Balcony, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. Keep them up. I want to make sure I see everyone. 25, all the way in the back row. And 26, got you over here. 27, I see over there. 28 over there. And 29, 30, got you over there. You could put your hands down. Thank God for that. Come on. Can we do this together? I want us to pray right now. Come on. Say this with me out loud. Those online... You're going, to make, you're going to say the same thing with me. Come on, say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me now loud. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. I like this part, my favorite part. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. Come on, can we all say amen and thank God for those that have made that decision today. Hallelujah. Come on, put your hands together. Stand with me as we close today. It's good to be in God's house. Now listen, if you made that decision today, I want you to text the word DECIDED to 51,000. Decided, we're going to start you on a journey. Let me tell you what we're working on right now. There's going to be some massive things happening for discipleship going into 2022. This is a really important moment. Connect groups are happening. You can go online, tsc.nyc forward slash groups. There's so many to lead and also to be part of. Um, we also rejoice not only with the 30 people here, six people online responded. 36 folks have given their heart to Jesus Christ. Eyes were open today. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.